Oh my goodness. I can't believe what just happened. I just chatted with Chester Thompson for the better part of an hour. We talked about everything from his current relationship status with Phil to the physical toll that some of those tours took back then, his favorite songs, and of course, his new album, Wake Up Call. We've got an extended interview, a little bit more footage available just for our patrons. So make sure you come over and join that. But I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Here's a, let's start with, let's start with today. Um, you're, you've done what most drummers would, you know, 10 times what most drummers would want to do in their career. And yet you're going on tour with Unitopia. You've just come out with another solo record. And I'm just kind of curious about this, like relentless creativity. What <laughs> motivates you? Like what, what motivates you to keep going from on this, on this path that you started when you were 11 or 12? What else am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's like, you know, I don't work yeah. or play for a living, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's true. What, what, what's the old song? I, I, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no retirement when, when you're doing what you love. I hope not. Oh, man, when the body gives out, then then yeah. I guess I'm retired. But no, I love what I do. Um, yeah. I've never, oh, goodness. I mean, I love the drums. Uh, still love playing the drums, but I love melodies. I love music. Um, and I've always wanted to know more about music itself, not just drums. You know, you got, you got melody, harmony, you got all, all of that. Yeah. And, um, so basically, yeah, I've just uh, always wanted to try to go deeper and try to, you know, <clears throat> go, you know, just understand more about it and just learn as, I mean, I'm still learning. I mean, we, you know, then we never stop learning. That's the whole deal. I love learning new stuff. You sure. Know? Well, it's interesting you talk about melody because that was one of the things I noticed on the record Wake Up Call. Let's talk about that for a second because I, you know, a lot of people would think, okay, here's an accomplished drummer. Here's a drummer's solo record. What's this going to sound like? It's going to sound all drums, <laughs> maybe a couple percussive instruments along, but it's very melodic. It's very... Um, yeah, I mean, I was just blown away by that. In fact, you can you can tell me, but it feels like the drums aren't even mixed to the front. Everything is balanced. It's a beautiful listening experience. I mean, that's got to have been intentional. Well, very much so. Very much so. Okay, but but there, there, this one's very different than anything else I've done. However, this okay. one we did we did this during COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, so, so the, it was remote. The main players, yeah, the main players, uh, Pee Wee and Michiko, keyboard and bass, they were my very first band when I attempted to actually have a band in L.A. And we started out by, we were just jamming all the time. They would come over, they would come over to the house. I had a little room set up. And we would just jam. And that, that turned into writing. It turned into gigging. You know, a um, couple of other people that were in that band are also on the record. Uh, Caleb Quay on guitar and a guy, a guy named Ronnie Van on guitar as well. There's a couple other guitars, but they were the core of the band. Uh, Pee Wee and Michiko, we we were just we've been all been dear friends for years and years. This was back in oh goodness, I think we started this in eighty or eighty one. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and we you know we were like I say because we were friends getting together jamming. We had dinner together a lot. They would very often stay you know hang out and eat at the house. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, we were all experimenting with writing. A lot of it would be jams. It would we would take an idea and and, and sort of flesh it out. Sure. And um, and the crazy thing is, we haven't played together live in thirty years. <laughs> wow. 
So the story of this record, uh, I still call them records, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, so I called them up beginning of COVID. It's like, hey, how you guys doing? They're, uh, Pee Wee and Micho's daughter, by the way, is Judith Hill. And if you haven't seen her, she's phenomenal. Okay. Okay, okay. Unbelievable. Anyway, okay. that's her daughter. Sure. Yeah. She coached with all, their, all the musicians' kids, piano lessons. My, my son, Alex Acuna's uh, kids, they, you know, they all took lessons from yeah. Micho. And Judith was the youngest one that would kind of hang around and would sit there at the, at the piano. And man, she's turned into a monster performer. In the meantime, so we basically just, uh, you know, they said, well, you know, they have a studio. They said, nobody's booking the studio. All the gig, all the tours are canceled. We're just sitting around jamming with the drum machine. And my <laughs> response was, man, don't do that. Let me send you something to jam with. <laughs> So I just laid oh, down. Okay. I laid down over four minutes of this this drum thing. I, you know, which was track three called uh, the original name was Reunion because that's okay. We're calling it the Reunion Band. Yeah. Okay. So basically, which is now that we changed the title to Hide and Seek, but yep. track three was the very first one. I just sat down and laid down a drum track, nothing else. Okay. What they sent me back blew me away. It's like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, <laughs> the world? And they said, well, we just went where you led us. It's like, you directed oh, it. And that's wow. what we went. But, you know, like I said, we spent a lot of time together when we were, when we were together. Yeah, so sure. Like, okay, well, I'm going to send you another one. Play around with that, which turned out to be track two, uh, Sunrise. Yeah, that's my I favorite. Just, I sat down and laid down a thing in six and put in some fills and some breaks, yep. they wrote around that. Wow. So nine tunes later, every single song started with a drum track that I sent to them, and they wrote around it. Now, a couple of times I had some melodic ideas that, that Michiko took and just, yeah. you know, turned them into, like, something amazing. Uh, so it was, it was a true collaboration. Uh, I think of it like... A, a company almost like I'm the I'm the vice president of drums. She's the vice president of keyboards. He's the bass yeah, player. that's right. <laughs> and we well, all we all did a bit, but that entire album was was conceived of that way. I, I was wondering how it was composed. Yeah, I, I laid down the drums, nothing else, and they responded. <laughs> did you give any sort of guidance? You said that there's some melodies you had in mind. There were a couple yeah. of songs where I had a melodic idea with what I did, and yeah. she took those and, and you know, uh, finished them out and added other sections and things like that, yeah. Were there times where you would send um, a rhythm? Mm -hmm. In your mind, it was a dark rhythm, or in your mind, it was a bright rhythm, and then they maybe took a, a different approach with the melody than you would have envisioned? Not really. Um, no, it pretty much... Took it where I would have dreamed of okay. it going. Sure. Just in a way more amazing way than yeah. I would have come up with on my own. That's the beauty of collaboration, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. did, did your son play on this record? Is that true? He's on guitar on tracks yeah. one, three, and eight. Okay. Tracks That's one, amazing. three, and eight. Those are my son playing guitar, yeah. What does that feel like? I mean, I've got an eight-year-old boy, and I know that um, Phil's son, Nick, took over your role on the last tour. I mean, that's got to be an incredible bonding experience. The well, ultimate. We don't get to play that off together that often. I can't afford yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very successful, very accomplished player and just in demand like crazy because yeah. he, he does uh, guitar, bass, keyboards, and drums. 
and he can't even tell you what his main instrument is. He's just equally as wow. good in each one. He wow. toured with a band called Little Big Town. Oh yeah, he does yeah, a bunch that. of tracks for the Mass Singer, and um, wow, and he produces a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's he's pretty amazing. And I had to give him I had to get him a drum kit at two because he wouldn't leave mine alone. We <laughs> <laughs> started piano lessons at five. Uh, my oldest son gave him a guitar when he was around ten or eleven which was great except that he gave him a distortion pedal and drove me crazy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but but to his credit when it was time to get serious and practice i always keep an acoustic guitar around the house even though i don't really play and he that's what he did his serious practicing on was that acoustic guitar uh traded a, some friend some kid traded him a video game for a bass and started teaching himself how to <laughs> play bass <laughs> <laughs> and he makes a, a he makes a living playing all those instruments. It's um, that's incredible. So yeah, well, I mean, I'm obviously very proud of him. You know, uh, it's interesting you talk about getting serious because I started playing the drums when I was a kid, just mm -hmm. th because after seeing you and after seeing Phil and. I made my drums look like Phil's. I took the backs off and I turned them up completely perpendicular to the floor and did everything like that. But I was just banging around, imitating. And mm -hmm. I, I, when I got to high school, I met other drummers who were better than me and I switched to guitar because I was so intimidated. But it's funny you talk about getting serious because there is that moment, and I'm starting to do it now as I'm older, but there is that moment where, no, you actually have to sit down at the drums and do the hard stuff, the right. boring stuff. <laughs> Uh, and that's where the growth comes. Yes, yes. Um, when I think back to those early days, and I've told students at times, you haven't seriously practiced until it, it, until you've shed tears. I mean, I remember <sighs> times of being so frustrated trying to do something I was trying to do. Yeah. I would just, you know, it would, it would bring tears because it was just like, this is so hard. Yeah. You hang in there and... yeah. And it yeah, comes, that's a, I mean, my students, <laughs> I taught for 20 years over at Belmont University. Sure. Which I had, I've never taught. I've always thought people would ask me, it's like, I don't teach, you know. Yeah, yeah. My son was going there and the drum teacher, you know, the main drum teacher left to go work on another degree or something. And uh, the head of the department asked, would I be interested? And I'd always wanted to teach my son everything I know. But father and son, it's very hard to sit and have lessons with your son. I don't know if you got kids or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. yeah. but that's that's not easy True. to do. And my my son hates when I say this, but when they when this opportunity came up, it's like wow. So not only this is my chance to teach him everything I've always wanted to teach him, but if he doesn't listen, I can flunk him. <laughs> And I'm getting keep, paid for it. <laughs> and, you can, <laughs> and you can keep an eye on them at, at college. <laughs> so, yeah, it was... Um, That's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, back to the other things. So, like, his guitar playing, and he's one of my favorite bass players, too. Oh, my goodness, his pocket. Because he's a drummer first. Sure, yeah. You know, his, his grooves, man. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, shameless plug real quick. Go to YouTube one of these days. Yeah. Put in Akil Thompson Jazz from Home. During COVID, an organization my wife and I are involved with called the Nashville Jazz Workshop asked several of the musicians to do, you know, just basically videos so they could put up on the site. Yeah. Uh, and he did one. Boy, did he do one. Yeah. He plays all of his instruments, and I'll leave it at that. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? In my research this morning, I watched a little bit of it this morning. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I'll put a link to uh, below, but you're absolutely right. And yeah, he, and I'm, as I'm kind of, you know, yeah, and, and there's instruments all over. Right. It's not just, yeah, that's incredible. I didn't know that that was during lockdown. That's that's a really cool way to, yes. um, yeah, I wish I'd caught that live. That's really cool. Right, well, that, that's, well, like I said, that was the deal with the album. I mean, I think that kept me from ever feeling like I'm going nuts here with nothing to do because... You know, we got pretty in, involved in that project, you know, and yeah, it uh, it took a while to get done. It it, it took probably most of that year. Um, wow. You know, just yeah. they would get busy with stuff, you know, because things eventually started picking up. Yeah. And, uh, so they had other projects and stuff. And um, yeah, it, it, it was very, for me, it was very satisfying. I mean, I've, I've done a couple of jazz trio albums. I did a solo album. My first was in 91 called A Joyful Noise. And uh I wrote pretty much, I wrote most of it and <laughs> some of the tunes I wish I could take back. <laughs> yeah, every artist but, feels that way. Right, exactly. But, you yeah. know, so like I said, I wasn't so much hands on with all of the writing with this one. But like I say, the way the way it came together, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this record. It's, I'm especially blown away with them. I wish I could take all the credit for it, but I just, yeah. I, you know. Well, I find it to be, I mentioned how the drums aren't in your face. I find the album to be really understated. Mm -hmm. The drums are understated. And I and as I'm listening to some of your stuff over the years, I find that to be the case with you. Whereas a drum fill is excitement for a bar, maybe two bars, but mm -hmm. a groove can go on for 10 minutes and you never get tired of it. I, I just feel like that was something I really appreciated about this record. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, yeah, I... Okay, I mean, I've, I've, I've done a lot of drum festivals, a lot of, you know, a lot of things where I'm called to do extensive solos. Yeah. I, I can go there, I guess. Um, right. But I I guess my favorite thing is accompanying the music. Um, sure. Like, I've played jazz all my life. My very first drum lessons were, were jazz. It was a, a family friend who, who had kind of switched from you know, doing like regular gigs and he became part of a jazz band and didn't really want to play anything other than jazz. So when he was teaching me, we, he basically taught me by putting on jazz albums and teaching me how to play along, what to listen for. He even taught me how to not get lost when people are taking solos. He said, learn the melody, sing it over and over in your head and you won't get lost when they're soloing because they're improvising mm. on that melody. Right, that's ah, right. Ah, okay. So he taught me some really helpful things. The first gigs... Well, well, in back in the, when I was coming up, it was all soul music. It was in the '60s, basically, and um, so the first gigs were, you know, just playing the top ten, playing what was on the radio. Sure. But then eventually, you know, I started doing club gigs at 13. So I guess eventually, uh, I was I was probably in an all jazz group by the time I was 15. But I'd never wanted. I've never. I'm not a purist. I'm not a. I'm not. Yeah. I don't think of myself as I'm a jazz drummer. I'm a rock. I'm a drummer. I'm a musician. Yeah. First, yeah. I'm a musician, and I'm a drummer. Um, and so I've never wanted to miss a gig because I can't play that style of music. Mm. Um, and so it's always been a challenge. And I really try to dig in and sound authentic. If I'm playing prog, I want to sound like I'm playing prog. I don't want to sound yeah. like you know some jazz guy trying to cross over. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, there'll be hints of that, whatever. That's one of the things I like about Unitopia, man. Those guys, they groove. Oh my goodness, they groove. Because a lot of the prog is pretty intellectual stuff. Sure. I, I, the way they groove, man, I'm, I'm, that makes it really fun. That's to a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that too. 
going back to this concept of of understated and, and groove, I I heard you say this. Maybe I won't hold you to this, but I heard you say this in an interview that one of your favorite songs of Genesis to play was "Throwing It All Away." And Absolutely. I was just I was shocked and surprised. I mean, the drums don't really come in until the second verse. So, what is it about that song? Is that is it the groove again? The groove, man. It's it's just like the coolest, funkiest groove. <laughs> Phil's a phenomenal player. I mean, I'm, I'm really sorry that he's not able to physically play these days. Yeah, but, yeah. Man, what a player. I mean, and oh. guy, we, you know, when we first met, when we first talked, we, we talked a lot in the early days. And basically, he listened to all the same jazz drummers I listened to. Elvin oh, Jones, cool. Max Roach, Tony Williams. I mean, he was very familiar with that stuff. Uh, he had the plus of growing up in that culture with Keith Moon and, and you know, Right, uh, bottom yeah. and all that stuff. So he had all of that, and he was a very much a Beatles uh, student, really. You know, true. Uh, you can hear it in some of his writing, even. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, so whereas I listened to, I grew up during that area. I was growing up uh, besides the jazz, which was most of my practice was uh, because of the independence, because it qu- requires a very different level of independence than most learning a beat. You know, you, it, yeah. You got four limbs all responding <laughs> to the music in a different way. Yeah. And so, you know, and, um, but we had a theater in Baltimore where I grew up, very, very much like the Apollo Theater in New York. I'm sure you've heard of that. Well, mm-hmm. those shows that would come through the Apollo, there, there was a circuit. It was, that wasn't the only theater. Well, Baltimore had one of those theaters. So every other week, I, man, I saw uh, the whole Motown review, Little Stevie Wonder Miracles, everybody. I saw James Brown several times. Uh, Jackie Wilson. I saw all these people live. I'd be sitting as close to the front as I could get and checking out the rhythm sections because they most a lot of times they brought their own drummers and I'm just yeah. studying them. You know? Yeah, that's right. And um, so that you know that that was that what a, man, what an amazing time to grow up. And, but I was always curious, so I would get every now and then I'd get a call from say the Art Institute, they had like uh, you know Maryland Institute of Art, and so you'd get these artists slash musicians that wanted to do some very crazy experimental stuff. And I was always up for it. So it wasn't just playing the soul music, just playing the jazz. It was like, man, I'm, yeah, let's try something new. I mean, the appeal for me with Genesis was like, well, I've never done this. Yeah, let's do this, you know? Okay. <laughs> feel yeah. Like, oh yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, same with Zappa. Unfortunately, I'd heard some of his music when I got the call, you know, uh, a friend yeah. was his tour manager. So when I got the call for the audition, Man, I was I was all for it, you know. Yeah, is it be, yeah? Is it because of the challenge that you just want to, like you said at the beginning yeah. of this interview, you want to keep learning? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. In fact, a big a big thing for me in those days was okay. Maybe it's not paying a lot, but am I going to learn anything? Okay, okay. So that, that was always a pretty big factor for me. You know. Okay, it was all part of the journey. Yes, for you. Yes. Yeah. And the journey ain't over. So, you know? <laughs> Amazing. Well, we're happy about that. It, I always, I mean, a lot of people in the, the Genesis world, I think, and I wondered if this ever crosses your mind when people hire you for a gig, but you would think with looking what, at what Genesis looked like prior to when you and Daryl came on, there was these long-haired English boys, and then they bring in these Americans. Well, mine, which, mine doesn't grow that way, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, I, what I had anyway. <laughs> I mean, that was, that must have... Uh, did that ever cross your mind? Why are they hiring me and Daryl, these American boys, no, bringing no, in a Phil, different sound? 
Phil called me up, right? He just he got he had got my number from Alfonso Johnson, mm-hmm. which was a friend they had met, and he was, when he was looking to find me, it was crazy because I wasn't even in Baltimore. I mean, I wasn't even in L.A. at the time. I was in San Francisco doing a show called The Wiz, which right. is with my wife. It's like a Broadway thing. Yeah. And um, so I get this phone call from him, and he explained. He says, "Well, you know." Uh, he happened to come to the last Weather Report concert that, that I had played, uh-huh. that Alfonso and I had played in London. That was the last one we did. And uh, he was at that concert. And I remember him saying, actually, it wasn't even him. Uh, I met whoever it was he was there with. The guy was saying to me, yeah, Phil was mentioning, man, if I had to play with another drummer, I'd like it to be that guy. Because he had already done the thing with Bill. The first right. Genesis, right. you know. Yeah. And, um, which you know was just very flattering to hear that and um and he said you know basically i've already played some of the stuff you've recorded like i've played some of the zappa stuff and some of the other stuff when you recorded for the guys in the band and, and they're up for it they're all for it and he said there's not really an audition if, if you want to do it you know it's your gig if you want it you know yeah it's like man great so they started sending me cassettes and stuff and you know again i'm in the middle of another show where i'm playing eight shows a week and uh, so I couldn't really dive in. Sure. You no know, cassette. Well, looking back, cassettes weren't the greatest way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can miss some things. You missed a lot of details. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of detail. But so you know, finally went over. We on, you know, we only had like ten days of rehearsal. They canceled Sunday because they thought it was going so well. They didn't know I wasn't getting any sleep whatsoever. I was. I wish I could find my little book because the only way to get through it, uh, because it was like a two and a half hour show. Yeah. And I yeah. had like nine days to learn this music and try to memorize yeah. it. It wasn't going to happen. And, but, you know, because all this is my first experience. Well, not my first experience with Prague, because, I mean, Zappa, I mean, sure. time, yeah. all the time signatures, the stuff he was doing was like ridiculously hard. And I didn't get any sleep those rehearsals either. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So basically, I literally transcribed everything Phil played. I wrote it out. Oh, wow. And I had my little manuscript book that I would sit up on the stand. Okay, it's like, and I just, you know, after the first day, I said, guys, can you give me a list of five songs for the next day? And I'll have them ready. And I would stay up half the night and write them out. Yeah. Put my little book up and read them, which they'd never seen before. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, what a... What a great little university uh, in one in five days. Three years of university in oh, five yeah. years. Yeah. Um, what yeah. did you hear in the drumming that attracted you to the gig outside of just wanting to learn and expand? What did you hear in that in those songs? Oh man, Phil is this really to my ear unorthodox way of doing stuff. Mm. Very much self-taught. Um, his melodic sense. Oh goodness, I mean. Even though he wasn't writing songs yet, in fact, he used to say, oh, I can't write songs, I'm just a drummer, I don't know how to write songs. <laughs> and, um, but, you, but the way he would complement those melodies and each section was so unique for where it was in the song, I, that was pretty knocked out. It's like, man, yeah. this guy's got something different going on. This is amazing, you know? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was a, a, a big part of it, you know? Um. What, let me, okay, so let me ask you then, um, I do want to go back to some of the, the earlier stuff in, in your days, but while we're, while we're talking about Genesis now, um, let's, let's go back, let's go back and talk about some getting started because, um, you had, 
when we were talking about your son, we were talking about streaming. I, this is something I was kind of curious to touch on a little bit, is thinking about the way that you got started, knowing people, going to clubs when you're young, mm-hmm. taking whatever gigs, lucky breaks you could get. I know that Phil would kick around clubs and, and mm-hmm. ask for opportunities. Today, if you're a drummer and you're getting started, and I know you've worked with a lot of students, today, if you're a drummer getting started, your best path is probably to start a YouTube channel or to start a TikTok to show people your skills. Um, so what, what do you think they're missing? Would you wish that you had it like they have it that you could just start a YouTube channel. Uh, no. Which which path do you think is better? Absolutely not. Uh, because I learned and got to work on what I do by playing with live players. One of the best ways to learn anything. Uh, you know, in Europe, they still have the concept of apprenticeship. Right. If you want to learn a craft, you go in as an apprentice. And yeah. Study under someone who's a master at that at that thing. So I got to play pretty early on with players who just knew a whole lot more than I did. Uh, took me in directions that I don't know that I could have gone sitting up in a room by myself. I mean, yet today the other plus though, I guess, the influences they have and the technology to dig into stuff. Yeah, that's that's way different than what I came up with. Sure, you yeah. know. So I, I appreciate that, but man, there's there's something real wonderful about sitting in a pocket, sitting playing in the pocket with other players. Man, there's something so incredibly cool about that. Yeah, and, that's um, true. And you know, you got guys that came up in more the technical generation. Um, I guess you do what you got to do. I personally believe. I mean, like I say, most most of a lot of the, the the work that I've gotten is from referrals. Sometimes I didn't even know the person that would that referred. They sure. heard play somewhere. Yeah. I mean, so, like what I've always told students, man, when you get a chance to play, count it a privilege and, and give it your best shot. You know. Yeah. No, but that's true. You don't know who's listening? You know. So, and I guess that applies to when you're doing these videos or whatever, and, and trying to make make it. And obviously, people have discovered people that way these days. Um, you know, so it's like I can't really speak to it because I haven't experienced it. Yeah. I mean, I've, well, I'm curious about stylistically because you talked a little bit about Phil's influences just growing up, and I often wonder if his influence in, from Motown and 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 listening to, and of course, in Brand X and the stuff he would listen to mm-hmm. with Weather Report, but then also the Beatles. This weird combination of ingredients created what we got today and that that's got to be the same for you too with the experiences that you've experienced either growing up or throughout your whole career is that true that you can put all this stuff together in a pot and mix it up and come up with something new yeah but i don't, I don't think it's a conscious effort yeah sure no i agree yeah you know i mean like okay mm-hmm. so in the case of phil right i mean there were a few times when he would be playing like okay so there's one time he was, I heard him playing this, this lick. I said, and um, the way he was doing it was like so different. It's like, Phil, are you trying to do, he said, yeah, how do you do that? You know? Yeah. Obviously his songwriting abilities took that and turned it into like the most famous drum lick of all times. Right. I can't say I created it. I'm guessing I might've heard Billy Cobham or somebody do it, you know? Sure. But anyway, it was like just a typical American lick, you know? Right. And Phil was doing it like, instead of, instead of like two hits on each drum, like snare toms all the way around, he was going, he was like going uh, snare toms, tom back to snare and sounded very different. It just didn't have quite the same power. 
Mm. You know, um, so, I mean, there were a couple, a few other things like carpet crawls, right? So we, we did carpet crawls and, and as he was explaining to the field, you know, the, the, the groove and where he was coming from, he says, well, think about like one of those uh, Phil Spector records like Sherelle or somebody where they had like the castanets, you know, doing the, yeah. and he was doing that on the hi-hat. And that was his influence for the hi hat pattern on carpet crawl. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. So it's it's his his culture, you know, take on it um, that basically filtered through what he came through and made it something fresh because he was he was not looking at it from trying to make it sound like a, a British player, but he was looking elsewhere. Like one of my biggest influences is Brazilian music. I love playing Brazilian music. Yes, and, I love it and too. I've, I've spent some time like studying African rhythms and stuff as well. Ah. Well, you know, and in the, in the U.S., we've got one of the most unique, freshest rhythms in the world in New Orleans. That whole right. second line groove, man. That's some, man, it's hard to, I've learned to duplicate it pretty well. I've, I've, I've played it on a couple of gigs where someone from New Orleans was, would come up and think that I'm from there. And it's like, which is the greatest compliment of all. <laughs> That's such a unique feel, but it's very similar to what I grew up playing. I grew up, there was a style we called fat back back in the day. Okay. And if you want to really hear the best example, I can tell you what fat back as I understood it was. If you listen to Cold Sweat by James Brown. Okay. Okay, the drums on that, that that was that, you know, but I mean of course you had the meters and stuff because they were the kings of it, right? You know, uh, you know, Ziggy. But so much of the, the cool stuff has come out of New Orleans, you know, jazz wise and, and drum wise in this country. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all those influence they they become a part of you and um at some point you got to get to where you're not so much imitating. Okay, so um, I say to people sometimes, and they look at me funny sometimes, it's like I'm having more fun now when I play than ever before because I finally learned that my job is just to get up there and listen. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, Can you elaborate? Yeah, sure. I mean, I used to really think about what I was playing and try to, to try to play the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Well... That very often gets in the way. Right. I mean, I remember those days of practicing a lick, man, in practice, and I couldn't wait to get on the gig and try that lick or that fill or whatever. First time, eh, second time, maybe I nailed it. Third time, these guys are like, what are you doing? You know, this is not a rehearsal. <laughs> and, um, you know, and now I never, ever pre-think drum fills. I just uh, don't, I mean, in the case of Genesis, it was like, you know, we would talk and Phil would be like, okay, I consider this Phil part of the song. Other than that, do what you do, you know? Okay. Okay. Which was, you know, so, I mean, and I tried very much to duplicate what he played on those recordings. Obviously it came out different, you know, especially the live recordings, you have a pretty big difference from the originals. Yeah. My field eventually, you know, filters through my my roots and all of that. And I'm honoring the song and trying to honor the original parts, but still my field comes through eventually, you know. Well, that's interesting because that was a question that I had for you. I mean, there's this interview that uh, Phil's son Nick did just last mm -hmm. year, and he was talking about how your version of In the Cage, he prefers your version than his dad's version of In the Cage. Oh, interesting. And 
it, it's what was in what well, that kind of got me thinking about what type of leeway that you would be allowed as a drummer and and how you would how could you be creative as a drummer when you're with Genesis or Phil and I imagine even um, you wouldn't have had too much leeway on parts especially when it gets into those super structured pop arena shows where everything is timed mm -hmm. uh, so how do you play another drummer's parts but still feel connected to that part well i mean basically i'm playing for the moment and i'm trying yeah. to really nail it for that moment mm -hmm. now you know eventually when you, you're playing the same song 30 or 40 times on a tour eventually it's going to be it's got to feel pretty natural or it ain't going to work first right that's so true I, again i really set out to learn it but when it's time to play man i am not thinking in fact mm. my biggest enemy on those shows is shows were never under two and a half hours right the biggest issue is is getting rid of thoughts because <laughs> you can you can you can be in the middle of a show and you know and, and in the shows, there was always some of the prog elements. I mean, you know, they played the hits, but there's always at least one or two prog pieces in the show, right? Sure, yeah. And, um, man, if you're not careful, you can drift off and, and lose where you are. Right. Okay, so, like, I mean, just innocent stuff. Like, you're sitting there, you're playing. It's like, oh, man, did I lock away my uh, computer <laughs> in the hotel room or... Yeah, <laughs> cool. He'll hope they're not gonna, you know, just yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, and it's like, and like, bam, you've missed a whole course, possibly, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. my job is to like, when thoughts come, it's like, no, listen, 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 listen. That's incredible. So it's not about thinking about the music or counting mm -hmm. where you are. It's just listening. Well, you do that to learn it. Yes. Sure. You know, you, yeah. you engage the you engage the right brain to learn the stuff. You know, I'm sorry, the left, I guess the left brain is the analytical side or whatever. Yeah, you engage sure. to learn yeah. it. Uh, but then you got to let the creativity, the you know, creative side kick in because uh, you got to make it authentic, which means you got to feel it, hopefully, you know. Right. I mean, right. And there are guys that, that are pretty much intellectual in their approach and great players. I mean, amazing players. It's, it's just a, it's just a different, there's no wrong or right. I don't think it's a different point of view, you know. Uh, I prefer to make it really feel good. Um, that's that's right. Let me ask you about the physical uh, side of things. When I've watched the Serious Hits DVD or VHS, I've watched it maybe forty or fifty times since I saw it live as a kid. Um, I when I watched, I watched it just recently. When I watched it, uh, most recently when I watched it, I realized that you're the hardest working guy there. You and Phil, you're the one who doesn't get a break. There's other instrumentalists who get to step out for a song, but you're pretty much there. That's probably why you have a couple sweat towels lying around. But tell me about the physical toll of those shows, not just physically, but mentally as well. Like you said, keeping track of everything that's going on. Oh, man. Well, it's not stuff you think about. You do what you do. Um, mm. I've always looked at it almost like a sport. You need to yeah. be conditioned for it. That's right. I mean, Phil and I used to hit every city and go running first thing. No way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He used to work out with one of the soccer teams, you know, football teams in England, and they would wow. be doing wind sprints and stuff, and he was very fit. Oh, my goodness, Phil. Was I didn't know really that. Fit. And, but then as as they got more popular, they would be demanding interviews and stuff. So yeah. he yeah. didn't have time to warm up before the shows after a point. So it's probably harder on him for going in with cold muscles as opposed to warming up. 
Uh, most of the years, I would take a practice kit. Okay. I would, you know, about a half hour or so before the show, I would just sit down and play any and everything I want. Weirder the better. <laughs> um, well, that because I learned I, I could never afford to be bored playing the show. Sure. I got to be able to really dig in and dive in. Yeah. So I would get all of that. I always, I tell my, used to tell my students, don't entertain yourself. That's not what you're uh. You know, um, so it's like, so I would get all that out of my system and I would be doing it to a click, different tempos, because I got to be really dialed in for a click once he starts, especially once he got the 808 drum machine, right? You know? Right. So I'd have to, I'd have to be, be able to lock to this stuff. This is long before in-ears where you had to like hear it through the monitor, which was a little trickier than in-ears, you know? Yeah. And, um, so basically I, I would try to get dialed in and uh, and my muscles would be good and warmed up, you know? So yeah. That, you know, so there was that. Um, I've always... You know, most of my life I've played a bunch of tennis, uh, did a lot of rollerblading, you know, that uh, yeah. sometimes running. I'm not a huge running person, but uh, I realized I had to be physical to, to do what I do. That's incredible. And, and drums are not enough because I've done it all my life, so they're my norm. I see. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, there was somebody in, who left a comment in the video that I did about your new record who, who mentioned that they saw you teach a clinic in Toronto back in the 80s. And mm -hmm. they said, you had, you had said, according to them, that you, at that time, you were practicing um, two hours a day, but then another two hours a day on a left-handed kit. Is, is that true, that you were not practicing two, on... Not the two hours a day part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been one who could sit there for two hours. Yeah, okay. I'll get up, I'll get up after 20 minutes, 20, 20 yeah. 25 minutes, to go walk around, do something else, come back. I'll come back to it. But yeah, I mean, like when I was teaching at Belmont, guys like would be kind of shocked when they realized everything they played this way, they had to learn to play that way. Really? And every now and then I would sit, I would just reverse my whole kit and try wow. to play totally left-handed. Yeah. Fact, uh, several years I, I did a taught a seminar every week that all all the commercial professionals had to come to, and usually the first day, first or second day of that class, I would set the kits up backwards, so left-handed guys had to play right-handed and, and vice yeah. versa. Yeah, you know, it was a good way to take the pressure off because guys would hear they, you know, the new guys would come in and hear the experienced guys and be intimidated, and yeah. that's we all got to laugh at each other. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's really cool. And, yeah, you know, but it would be like, oh man, I got to get this out. One day it occurred to me that everything I was doing was so right-handed, it was almost like this side wasn't doing anything. Yeah, and yeah. so I just really set out to everything I practiced, learn how to do it both ways. You know. Not so I, feet all the time, but definitely the hands. You know? Right, that's right. When I I got a bought myself a, a vintage premiere kit at Christmas. I've been practicing every day, and one of the I could not believe how weak my left hand is. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere online to try to use your left hand more mm -hmm. um, during the day. Open doors with it. It's like you mentioned. You realize how little you do with this hand. And when I brush my teeth with my left hand, I look like this is my first day on earth. I'm just. <laughs> It's brutal, and it, you realize how nuanced this hand is. I shave <laughs> the left side of my head with my left hand. Oh, that, <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> oh, it's scary the first time. Yeah, <laughs> it's very scary. And you know, I mean, I do. You know, I use 
both hands when I shave and do things. Yeah. Um, I used to I play with Weather Report. Joe Zalvano, yeah. uh, among keyboard players, is, people are amazed by his left hand facility. You know, right. He's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And he would he would say to him, which I took to heart, he would say, man, like start writing with your left hand. Just try to do all your normal everyday stuff with your left hand. Yeah. And it, it's made a difference. It made it easier. The other trick, if you want to practice like open and and the traditional way, don't think about which hand is doing which. Play the music. Ah. Uh, think of a think focus on the nut the notes. So if the yeah. high hand is going, you no. Know, well, then because you go to the left hand, don't focus that it's your left hand. Focus on the. Great point. Right? Yeah. And yeah. So when you pray, and it just really frees up your limbs for you know. And, you know, because you really want to be aware of what you're playing. You don't want to think about it. But when I went, when I switched to uh, traditional grip, I mean, when I switched from traditional grip to match sure. grip, I I basically would close my eyes, place them with my right hand, try to duplicate it with my left. And obviously I couldn't do it up to tempo and probably would get stiff and all of that and tense up. And it was like, okay, let's, let's monitor every single detail of this right hand, every finger, every, how tight is the grip? How are the fingers responding? All of that, how much wrist pressure? And then try to duplicate that with the left hand. And it, it took a little while, but it, it got, it, it yeah. started growing fairly quickly. Um, yeah, you don't realize it if you're not focusing on it you don't realize how i could perform surgery with this hand and this hand i could barely throw a ball yeah right. that's crazy <laughs> what yeah, about what no. was it sorry go ahead no no there was just saying that you know just reiterating that like i say just notice details you know yeah what was it about phil's technique or bad habits that's taken such a toll now i mean i i think back to what we were talking about you on these big tours I would imagine a tour of, of that scope today would tour with a would travel with a masseuse and a physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. What was it about what, about Phil um, the way he played? I mean, he's been critical about it himself now. Well, the biggest the biggest issue I remember seeing uh, he played hunched over. Yeah, yeah, which which invites tension and stuff up sure. here. And sure. I guess it, I guess it was his neck his neck vertebrae that first started giving him trouble. Yeah, he would be like this. And I, I tend to sit really straight when I play. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a biggie on uh, posture yeah. and stuff. And uh, and the, the fact that he didn't get to warm up anymore. I mean, he, you know, like I say, we used to we used to like have a warm up routine in, in dressing room with with pads, yeah. you know, or chairs or whatever. And we would just, you know, we would be warming up. And like I say, the more his time was being demanded, uh, you know, for other stuff, he didn't yeah. get to do that so much. Um, he sat really, really low, which, you know, I mean, that's not a big deal. His his pedal, oh, my goodness. I don't know how he got the power and stuff. And he used these little bitty sticks, you know? <laughs> Yeah, why is that? Why is his signature stick small if he's short? Well, because that's what he that's what feels good in his hand. There's so no weird. right or wrong with sticks. Yeah. <laughs> you got, I mean, mine are, like, longer than most. Mine are 17 inches, you know? Wow. And, um, yeah, so it's like you got to, I mean, my first drum stick, teacher used one of these sticks and I would use his sticks and that that's I guess that's where I got it um yeah yeah but I love the fact that I've got all this this torque and all this leverage in my favor with the yeah well you can still be upright yeah and I mean yeah. well, and I can say Phil like I see he's leaning he's reaching you know all of that yeah I mean, his his setup is definitely for him it's it's hard to yeah 
be hard for somebody else to sit there and, and just like my kid, it'd be hard for somebody to sit there. And you probably can't change that, right? Halfway through your career? Uh, Do you think he could I've, have? I've spent half my life looking for the ideal setup. Yeah. Yeah. I've changed it so many times. Uh, the main rule is that if it hurts, don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's grip, interesting. That, yeah. Especially grip. Once it, once it hurts, it's like, okay, we, we need to change something here. Was I've always been curious, when your boss knows how to do your job, does that make him harder on you than he was on other instrumentalists, or was he more empathetic? Uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I've, I've actually spoke on that in interviews. Um, you know, when it was his solo thing, he was great, man, with the Genesis stuff. He was really, um, <clears throat> like I say, he respected my playing, and like I say, he would point out, this is part of the song. Sure. I need this feel at this spot, right? Yeah. And the rest, like, he trusted me to do, you know, what I got. When it came to his stuff, he was a little pickier. Yeah. But at the same time, not obsessively so. Um, you know, when he first, his very first tour, because he, I mean, he had a full horn section, he had all this stuff, you know, that he yeah. wasn't used to. So if the horns messed up, he'd turn around and look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Because he just, you know, basically that's what he related to first. And it yeah. Like, and yeah. I go, it wasn't me, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, I mean, after the first tour, he was pretty dialed in. And, you know, yeah. he was, I mean, he would write notes. To, he would, you'd get a note under your door after the show. Harry Kim said that. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. You know, if he, yeah. he felt like you didn't do right, yeah, you'd get a note. Yeah, I didn't get many of those, but <laughs> good for you. <laughs> what was the where was the click coming from in the early days? Where was that tempo coming from? In the monitors. I mean, he, okay, he's eight oh eight. He'd have his eight oh eight up there. Yeah, and they they patch it into the monitor system. Okay, and so for me, the difficulty was I got to hear it over my kit. Plus, I got the whole sound of the whole band in there. Yeah, and I got to have this thing going as well. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, you had to, like I say, listening was definitely the key, you know. And were you, I remember on the Serious Hits tour, you, there's this bizarre 80s computer screen next to you. What, what Were there triggers happening after No Jacket Required um, on songs like Sue Studio or anything? Like, how did how did you incorporate those sounds on the acoustic kit? <laughs> well, that was actually, I was, I was doing my own monitor mix. Okay. Because oh, okay. By the, by the time I asked for it, it's already passed. Right. So we tried different things. At one point, we all had a little mixer, and okay. I used to get in trouble because I'd, I'd reach over to you know to adjust the mix, which meant I had to stop the hi hat or, or miss a bag beat. And Phil was like immediately <laughs> turning around, staring. Oh my gosh! And um, <laughs> so eventually, that would have a separate monitor mixer, another person behind me doing my monitor mix. Wow! And somebody else did the whole band because it was wow. crucial that I heard all those parts. You know, that's right. Yeah. And, and we tried a few different things. I mean. And it's so key that, you know, that I hear this stuff. And it's, you know, Phil's, especially on his own stuff, uh, Phil's natural tempo is a little under where I naturally hear and feel things. Okay. Like I missed again, right? Yep. Um, uh, that, you know, it grooves like crazy. But, man, I had to really, really focus because my, you know, we all got a natural tempo somewhere. And I'm... Yep. You know, if I wasn't careful, I'd bump it up just to where it was natural for him, but it wouldn't be the right feel for him. Interesting. That's really right. interesting. So I had to really learn to play yeah. 
to do, you yeah. know, sort of adjust to his. It, it, it was a great learning experience. Like I say, the me, people ask me what was the hardest song. I mean, after playing with Zappa, nothing was hard, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but there were things, there were other things I had to focus on and listen for. Yeah. And the, one of the challenges was, like I say, at, at some point, several tours, especially once the band got bigger, um, you know, with horns and a couple of guitars and all that. And if somebody's leaning on the tempo, it's like I don't want to have to feel like I'm like trying to you know, thing a horses where I got to pull back on the reins. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of times, so I got to where I would use a click on the songs that were the most foreign to me tempo-wise. I would I would run the, I would just run a click. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. And then As later we did do samples and stuff, but I didn't necessarily. Well, there was a little rack beside me, but. Uh, whoever my tech was would would make the changes and, and adjustments and stuff. Okay. Uh, once he started coming up with those crazy snare sounds, I would go into the studio, sample his snare. You know, oh. The actual multitrack. Oh, wow. The treated sound, because otherwise the sound engineer was having to spend too much time trying to recreate that live as well yep. as mix the band. It yep. just became simple for me to just sample his, all his different snare sounds and, and treat wow. from my snare. Yeah, you didn't change snares, did you, during a, sh- a set, a show? No, no. no. Um, so, as far as I know, you never played on any of Phil's studio albums or Genesis studio albums. Exactly. Did you resent that in any way? It was weird. Yeah, it was really weird. I mean, Phil, first half the first tour, Phil's like, "Man, we're gonna, we're going to be going to the studio. We'd love to have you come over." But what he here's the crazy part, right? which gave me that much more respect for him. He says, Cause I, I, because I double track everything anyway. It's like, you do what? All those early Genesis records, he played the exact same drum part twice. Wow. He Just so that it was spells. more powerful in yes, the mix? exactly. Wow. Which is incredible. I mean, yeah, and, and the fact that you can't notice it right away shows how tight it is, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you know wow. say, the cool thing about being self-taught sometimes, and like Genesis, right, They they, because... None of those guys read music. I mean, Daryl and I grew up reading everything, right? But right, um, right. None of them, because they don't read. I mean, I think Tony's very first piano lessons he had to read or something. But yeah, he yeah. Read a lick of anything after that, and um, so the cool thing is they don't have any rules to break. They don't know what. That's right. You're not supposed to do it this way. So yeah. the freedom and creativity in what they did because they were creating their own rules. Yeah. They weren't having yeah. form to, you know. Yeah. And so, which I think was like a very much a secret of, of their creativity. And they were one of my favorite. When I once got into listening to that kind of music, it was like, I always felt like they were way more, that the melodies and, and parts made more sense with them than, than most of the other bands, you know, mm. there. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, and same with Phil. I mean, basically, because... Mm he was just kind of doing whatever it took to get it done. It, it comes out, you get some fresh stuff that way, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I have to ask you this and feel free to dodge the question. I know you've spoken about this recently in Rolling Stone, but my viewers would probably kill me if I didn't bring it up and uh, to ask a little bit about your current status of your relationship with Phil. We haven't, and spoken, I know, we haven't spoken since 2010. Wow. Um, you know, I, I won't go into details. Uh, sure. Yeah. It was. It was. It was a difficult time. It was yeah. Difficult. Yeah. Um, I hold no grudges. Um, it's it's really interesting because recently, lately, I'm thinking, man, that was such a dear friendship. 
and mm. what we accomplished musically that that's just a shame that it's where it is it, you know if he ever chooses to reach out and want to get back together or something or hang out whatever i would welcome it at the same oh, time wow. he's not the kind of guy you can go back to because mm. you know i don't know if he's still holding the grudge from those days or what um I have no idea. I can't I can't yeah. speak. For yeah. Him. Yeah. Uh, but I, again, I can just say that um, I, I, I've got no anger. I, I had my I had some I had to get over it. You know, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, when yeah. I went down, yeah. I had to get over it. Um, I, there was my part that I was wrong in and you mm. know, his response, I felt was pretty wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like, it's a shame because we were at one point really good friends. Um, mm. It got to be his life when he was being pulled in so many di different directions. It was more like, unfortunately, became an employer-employee relationship, which, yeah. you know, but whatever. I mean, I got the, I understood the pressure he was under and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, that, it just, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd hate for us to both go to our graves without having at some point you know, acknowledged, you know, at least what was there, you know, because there, there was, I think there was a real deep friendship at one point, you know. Well, I think that's why the fans, I, I know it's none of our business, but I, I think that's why the fans <laughs> care so much is because of the art that that relationship created over the the past yeah. 40 years. I mean, all of us still live in, and breathe it today, multiple uh, times a day. Right. And I, okay, as much as I appreciate that, and man, without fans, we wouldn't there wouldn't be much need for any of us <laughs> for that matter but i'm more i'm more dealing with okay what's next yeah good for you that, that's really more my um my yeah. perspective my point of yeah. view is uh of all the amazing wonderful musical things i've been a part of i don't ever feel like oh man i wish i could go back and do i understand i'm much more it's like man what what's next what's what's coming you know let me ask you this though: when you when you're in the grocery store or in the dentist chair, and you inevitably hear "You can't hurry, love" or two hearts," what goes through your mind? That's got to happen on a weekly basis. <laughs> well, I mean, the guy—you know—the guy is one of the most, most prolific creators. You know, that's right. Again, I, I don't have any issues with any of it. Yeah. Every now and then, I'll hear one that's like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, the guy made some phenomenal recordings, man. That's, sure, he just he yeah. did, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I, I wish him nothing but the best. Um, every now, yeah, I'll hear some of those, and I'll, there might be a very quick flashback of, of a moment, you know, live playing it, yeah, the song or something, you know. Yeah. I don't. Dwell, I don't dwell. I don't dwell on it. I don't. I don't go home feeling like, oh man, I wish I, you know, wish I could have, should have, you know. I totally understand. Well, speaking of moving forward, the new album is incredible. And I, I, I mentioned this in, when we when I talked about it on the on the video, the other video is it sounds really crisp and it's it sounds really I'm very excited to drop the needle on it on vinyl oh, wow. just because I'm, I'm of how curious. good it, I am curious. it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's the warmth of vinyl. I mean, you can't beat digital for the high end. Sure. Clarity. I mean, you just, you just can't. Um, yeah. At the same yep. time, and by today, by now, the technology, the the high end feels more natural digital than it used to in the beginning because it always. That's right. The, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I prefer. I still. I think. I think. I still prefer watching film than digital uh, movies. You know. Right. 
there's right. a, there's yeah. a too much detail, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, you know, you can, you feel like you could walk into the scene as opposed to it just being right there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to take a lot, a lot of pictures and I would always view them on slides as opposed to prints. Right. Cause you really felt the, the, the scenery, you felt the environment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's um yeah, I'll be very curious to hear that on vinyl actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well I, I think I think it'll sound good. I mean vinyl's nice too in the way that it does round out the, the high end a little yes. bit. It makes it you know Well we we as humans respond to we we perceive distortion as warm. Mm. Visually right. and orally and visually, uh perfection is just cold. We just yes. we perceive yeah. it that way, you know. Yeah. It's not, well, it's not natural, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, no, that's so true. Yeah, I'm um, going to jump off fairly soon. Uh, I, I just, uh, that's it for me. I just wanted to thank you, not only for today, uh, but I want to thank you for the, you know, the for me, the past 40 years of man. of the music. And, and you've been, a, I'm serious when I say this, but you've been a, a main character in my life wow. for a long time. You You don't know it, but... Um, from a poster on my wall to talking to you here today. So oh, wow. thank you so much for doing this. And thank you so much for the, the video thing that you posted about the album, man. That that really blew me away. I was uh, oh, my pleasure. Re really pleased to hear your perspective on it, you know. Oh, I, I'm happy to hear that. Gosh, thank you so much to Chester. Thank you to progrock.com essentials. You got to pick up his new record. You got to check out the tour that he's on right now with Unitopia in Europe, and of course, Unitopia's new record. You also have to check out all the links below for that. Thank you again to Chester. If you want to hear a little bit more of my conversation with Chester, come on over to Patreon and join and get some bonuses there. Of course, a bunch more. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and hit the like button for exclusive videos, behind the scenes content, and to have your say on future topics before I film, have a look at our Patreon page. Thanks for watching.